That song that we just sang, That Day, it's a good title, good song. I think it's probably my favorite song at this point. But you find that phrase all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. You find that phrase, that day, to point to a future day when we're going to be with Jesus in heaven. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, this, this is the last sermon in a very short series, a three-part three series entitled Eternity. Last week I gave you some really, 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 really horrible bad news about a place called hell and the reality of it. That's not pleasant to think about, but today I get to tell you the good news. Today I get to tell you about a wonderful place and how we have an eternal hope that is going to take us there. I want to talk to you about heaven this morning. I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 21. I wish that I had time, I wish I had about three hours where we could stay here together and I could go verse by verse all the way through chapter 21 and all the way through chapter 22. Chapters 21 and chapters 22 tell us about the future that is ahead for us. Chapters 21 and chapters 22 of Revelation are, are after a period of all these horrible things that happened that is recorded in the book of Revelation. Uh, we see in Revelation chapter 3 through Revelation chapter 20 some terrible things, smoke and ash and all of that type of stuff. But then when we get to Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22, we see the beauty that comes as a result of that. We see the new Jerusalem. We see heaven itself. And we haven't just been saved from something, like we talked about last week, eternal hell. We have been saved to something amazing. And this is the eternal hope that we have. Now, if you're like me, you probably have some hopes in this life. If you're like me, you probably have some things that you really hope that God will do for you in this life. But if we're not careful, then we will only have hopes in God for this life only. And that's a very dangerous place to be. In fact, the Bible says that if our hope is only in this life and in some type of future in this life, the Bible says that that is pitiful. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, that says if we have hope in Christ in this life only, that if we can't look beyond this life, if we can't see uh, beyond the grave and to this beautiful place called heaven that we're going to read about in just a moment, the Bible says that that is actually pretty pitiful. I mean, think about how difficult this life is, and, and this life will never be heaven. Some people try, want that to happen. They want to have heaven on earth, and it's not going to happen until God makes it happen. And we're going to read about it uh, in these verses. We have an upward calling. We are strangers and aliens in this world. Heaven is our true home, and we're going to read about it right now. Stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 21, uh, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And like I said, I wish I could read further. I wish I could go into more detail. I wish I could give a greater explanation. But I'll tell you, uh, there's, there's some things that just blow my mind about what we're about to read and also in these last two chapters of the Bible, things that are just wonderfully unexplainable. And I just pray that, I really, I just pray that God will help me to do justice to his word today. I, I, I pray that after I preach this sermon, after we read these verses I've just been praying that your heart is just going to long for heaven. Let's look at what God's, God's Word says. Chapter 21, verse 1. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Father, today I pray that your people would long for heaven. God, we know that a mature faith and a mature hope calls us to see beyond this life and to something so much more wonderful to which you are preparing us. So God, today speak to your people, draw their hearts towards you and to where you are, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You ever planned a trip and you just couldn't wait to go? You ever planned a vacation or maybe it was an event that you were looking forward to? And every moment leading up to whenever you left for the trip was either spent in thinking about the trip or was in preparation for the trip either getting things together or thinking about how it's going to be or maybe sitting around with your friends and family and talking about it. That is just a glimpse of how a mature faith and a mature hope for us in this life should be as we think about heaven. We should be people of God who sit around and think a lot about heaven. A lot of us don't do that. A lot of us are just preoccupied with just what's right in front of us for that day or maybe what's right in front of us in the coming weeks. Uh, sometimes we don't even think about the future unless we get nervous about it here in this life. But a mature faith calls us to think way beyond that and to think about this place called heaven, which is a real place. And let me, before I get into that, let me just give you a brief let me, let me give you just kind of a, a main idea, I guess just a main truth about heaven. Uh, heaven is the place, and this is, I guess you could say this is a basic truth. Uh, heaven is the place where God's presence, God's governance, God's blessing, and God's rule can be most fully and completely known and experienced. And uh, there's a lot to talk about just in that. But what we need to focus on right now is that only people redeemed by Christ are there. Only people who have been born again, only people that know Jesus are in heaven. And they are restored to a perfect relationship with God. And they are worshiping Him and they will worship Him in unimaginable joy for all eternity. 
I give you that basic truth, not just kind of as a summation of what the Bible says about heaven, and I guess a summation of this sermon, but I also, I also, I also give that to you because there's, there's an important thing that we, that we see in that basic truth, and that is that I put it in present tense. And sometimes we talk about heaven as if it's something that is only in the future. But this is a present tense reality. Heaven is for real. Now, I talked about this last week when, it, when, I, when I spoke about hell being a real place. Well, it follows, obviously, that heaven, that heaven also is a real place, not an imagined place, not a, a spiritual place where we're just kind of these phantom spirits kind of floating around playing harps on the clouds. That doesn't even sound good to me, by the way. Heaven is a real place, and the Scripture here gives us a vision of what that place is going to look like in the future, in eternity, but heaven is also a current real place. Now, let me give you some terms, all right, just in case you're wondering. Uh, you know, the, the word heaven doesn't really appear in these verses, uh, but the word holy city and new Jerusalem does. These words are synonymous with heaven. So anytime you see the word in Scripture, anytime you see the word heaven or third heaven or heavenly kingdom or paradise, celestial city, holy city, all of these things refer to the heaven that is in existence now and also the heaven that will be in existence in the future. All of these terms refer to the place where God lives and where you and I will live with him forever. It's all talking about, uh, all talking about the same thing. And, but these verses that we've read, they give us a glimpse into the future. They give us a glimpse of what it's going to be like in the future whenever God makes everything new. And it's important, again, to understand this as a real place, not just an imagined place, not just a place that we experience in spirit, but we're just kind of floating around there while every, everyone else as if heaven is immaterial. Heaven is not immaterial. Um, some theologians describe heaven as a state more than a place, like a state of being more than a place. Honestly, that sounds more like Hinduism than it does Christianity. Heaven is a real place. In fact, let me just say this. I think I've come to a point to where I see heaven as a physical place of sorts. It is a real place. Let me, let me, let me give you, some, let me give you some, some verses here because just because we can't observe it and just because we can't see it through a telescope does not mean that it's not there. Uh, Jesus told the apostles in John chapter, uh, John chapter uh, uh, four, 14, verse 2 through 3, he said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place, and then I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to take you to that place. He's saying, I'm leaving this place. I'm going to a different place, going to prepare you a place, and then come back and take you to that place place. Heaven is not just some, some phantom existence, some spiritual existence. It is an actual place. Think about Jesus when he was raised from the dead. Where is Jesus's body? 
every person that has ever died, including almost every prophet and man of God in the Old Testament, their bones were put in the ground, and if it was possible, we could go dig them up. Jesus' body is not over in Jerusalem somewhere waiting to be discovered by archaeologists. The New Testament shows us and teaches us that he gone. He took his body, think about this, he took his body with him. His body came, his physical body came out of the tomb. And Jesus, in his physical body, walked around. He talked to the, the, the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Uh, Mary and Martha, they saw him. Uh, he, told, he told Thomas, he said, he said, put your hand in my side. He said, this, I, I, Jesus ate food. Jesus was resurrected in some type of new spiritual slash physical resurrected glorified body. And when he ascended into heaven, he took that body with him. We have that recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Uh, the Bible says that the disciples were looking on with their real eyes. They weren't imagining this. They were looking on with their real eyes, and Jesus was really lifted up in his real body into heaven as they watched and as they saw it happen. And then two people, angels, who were also real, appeared to them and spoke real words to them that vibrated through the airwaves and said, hey, this Jesus that you just saw ascend into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way. And so Jesus was raised from the dead in a real body, took it with him, and now he's coming back in the same way. And the New Testament also promises us that we're going to have new, real, resurrected, spiritual slash physical, some type of glorified body. Stephen, remember him in Acts? Acts chapter 7. I believe Stephen saw something real. Something that is currently in existence. It wasn't that just he had a dream. He said that he, that, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven. He looked, up in, he looked up into the heavens, the sky, the clouds. He looked up into the heavens and he saw the glory of God. He literally, physically, with his eyes, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The Bible says that the heavens were opened. Just because we can't see heaven does not mean that it's not there. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, he, he saw something real. He says that he was caught up into the third heaven, into the paradise of God, where God was, and he saw things. He said they were unimaginable. He couldn't even put them into words, that they were absolutely unexplainable. Heaven is more real than where we live and what we're doing in this world around us right now. I believe that heaven is more real than this current reality in which we find ourselves. It currently exists. And that's why I gave you that basic truth in present tense. But also, heaven is going to one day exist as there is this renewal of creation. Y'all, you should take some time and you should study these verses in, uh, in Revelation 21 and, and Revelation 22 
there is a real heaven that currently exists, and there's going to be some type of real renewal, remodel of this current creation, this current earth. And I find this absolutely fascinating. We see this image of, uh, of destruction and renewal. Not a total destruction, but some, t- some type of makeover. And we see the new Jerusalem, heaven, and, and this, is, this is what's so hard for me to explain. We see the current heaven as, as it is now descending and coming down to a new renewed earth as the earth will be one day. Sound confusing? I, I think any time that we talk about heavenly things, it will any time, there's so much, there's so much, isn't there so much in the Bible that's just hard to explain and confusing? I mean, what is that new earth going to be like? Well, we don't, we don't really know. But we see clearly there is a new heaven, not heaven as in where God lives, but heavens as we observe it in the universe, and a new earth. You could just take new heavens and new earth to mean a new, a new creation. And he saw the holy city coming down and the former things. Something about the way that the world is now, how the way op, how the how it world, how it operates, how it's even created. The Bible says even the sea is going to be no more. There's not going to be any sun and moon. I mean, how do you even understand this from a scientific perspective? But the Bible says that it's going to come down. There's going to be this unification that's going to take place between the current the current real heaven and the one day newly recreated uh, renewed earth. And it's interesting to me that we always talk about how we go to heaven, but here in Revelation chapter 21, we see heaven coming down to us. Uh, Here's some other Bible verses. By the way, I don't want you to think that it's only in the book of Revelation where there's all this imagery and apocalyptic prophetic literature. It's only, it must just symbol something else. No, in the Bible it talks about it in several places. Here's two verses in the Old Testament that talk about uh, a new heavens and a new earth and former things being passed away. And then Isaiah 66 uh, uh, says, uh, says the same thing, a new heaven and a new earth. And then we have two other writers in the New Testament that talk about this as well. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. I don't have time to go through all these, but there's, there's, this, there's this passing away of the heavens and the earth, except Peter uses the word dissolve, uh, which, is, which is an interesting term to talk about what's going to happen to this current earthly reality. And again, he mentions this new heavens and this new earth. The Apostle Paul goes even further, and he gives, uh, he basically says that uh, the creation itself is looking forward to this day of being set free. That our current creation, just like us as God's creatures, we read Revelation chapter 21 and we say, yes, I can't wait for that. Creation itself is in the same position to where they're saying, man, we, we, can't, we can't wait for the revealing of the sons of God. We're looking forward to that day because the whole creation, like us, we've been groaning, looking forward to Jesus and to heaven. Creation itself also is suffering under the burden and the effects and the results of sin, and it will one day be liberated. All those prayers you pray, 
that Jesus told you to pray? From Matthew chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. See, this is what you're praying for. When you're praying, thy kingdom come, you're not just saying, Lord, I want the effects of the kingdom to be made known in my life and in this current earthly reality. When you're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are praying for the events, this heavenly event of Revelation 21 to happen. You're asking God for that when you pray like Jesus told you to. Now listen, don't be fooled into thinking that all of this is just going to be completely gone. That would be a victory for Satan. No, God is going to come and redeem his creation as well as his creatures. Man, there's so much that we could speculate and think about and talk about how we're going to be on a new heavens and a new earth where Jesus is our son and the lamb is our son and we don't need, a, we don't need the light of the sun, that there's no darkness, there's no sea. It's a new heaven, new earth. There's a city, a really, really, really big, huge city that, that would cover a big portion of the United States if you sat it down on top of it. I mean... These things are absolutely amazing, and this is the future that we hope for. So not only is there going to be a real, is there a real heaven, and not only is there going to be a renewal of creation, but there's also going to be a removal of sin. This is is how I picture this burning up, this dissolving, this passing away, this getting rid of the old stuff that we read about, not in just in Revelation 21, but in all of Scripture, I see this as somehow God untangling and unmangling and reversing not, not just the committing of sin, but the effects and the results of sin, where you and I, in some glorious, unexplainable way, we are returned to a state of innocence such as Adam and Eve had before they ever reached out and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, in this place, in the New Jerusalem, there's a new tree, the tree of life. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were not allowed to partake of the tree of life because they partook of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. At the end of, that's in the opening pages of Scripture. In the closing pages of Scripture, we see this tree of life mentioned many times. We see this water, this stream, the water of life that flows, and we see mankind in a state of innocence, restored to a state of innocence, being able to partake of that water and partake of that tree and as a result all of the effects of sin are gone there's going to be no more sadness think about the last thing that made you cry that won't be in heaven there'll be no more death no more mourning no more pain And I saw this verse last night in Revelation, I don't have it for the screen, Revelation 21 verse 27 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, ever. (sighs) Y'all, man, so many questions. Does that mean unclean thoughts? Does that mean unclean feelings? Does that mean unclean desires? 
If so, what does that do to my memory on earth of the way that things were and the way that things are now? What does that do with my memory of, of, of sins that I've committed in other people? I don't know how to answer that. Are there going to be things I'm going to remember? Are there going to be things I'm going to not remember? There are some things that we should want to forget. There are some things that haunt you in life that you would say, I'm going to be so glad that when I get to heaven that I will no longer remember that. But there's some other things that you might say, well, I don't know that I would want to forget that. Our identities are so ingrained in this current world but in some magnificent way, we're going to receive maximum comfort as God removes and untangles and takes away and separates from us as far as the east is from the west. Every single thing that has ever hurt you, that has ever made you cry, that has ever made you unfaithful to God, that has ever taken you away and out of His presence, it will be permanently removed and it's gone and it's never coming back. This is maximum comfort and the only place that this can ever be found is in heaven. But do you know that's not the best part of heaven? The best part of heaven is not that it's a real place where there's going to be a renewed earth and where the effects of sin is going to be removed, but the best part of heaven is that we're going to have a restoration of relationship. We're going to have a restoration, I believe, a restoration of relationships with, with, with people that we love and know on the earth, but that's not going to be the best part of heaven. That's not why we look forward to heaven. The reason we look forward to heaven is because there's going to be a restoration, a full and complete and total and absolute restoration between us and God. If this is not the main thing that you want out of heaven, there is something that you're looking for that you're going to be disappointed in. If you're not going to be careful, you're going to be disappointed whenever you get there. I don't know that that's possible. I, th I think that heaven is maximum enjoyment. But th this is the highlight of heaven. The highlight of heaven is, is not your grandmother or your grandfather or your parents or your friends or your spouse or, your, or, or those people that have died and gone before you and you get to see them again. That, that is not the highlight of heaven. The highlight of heaven is that we're going to see Jesus face to face, that we're going to be in an unhindered relationship with God. Your relationship with the people on this earth is going to be different. Even your relationship, and Kelly and I have had this conversation, your relationship with people that you're married to is going to be different in heaven. Remember the, the scribes came to Jesus, tried to test him, and they said, hey, the five brothers all married the same woman. They all died. Whose husband we should be in heaven? And Jesus just almost, almost dismissed them and kind of laughed it off and said, that it's, it's, it's going to be different. He said, people are not going to be married or given in marriage. It's going to be different, but it's going to be wonderful the relationship that we're going to have with Jesus is going to be magnificent in this city that is going to be in this renewed earth. Now, I have, to, I have to be honest with you. I don't like big cities. I go into a big city, and I'm like, man, I need to be carrying my bazooka. There's all kinds of bad stuff around here, and I need to, I need to be able, i got to protect myself. I mean, and when I go into, and this is just me, this is my feelings, I go into a big city, I feel like you have all these people, and they're just disconnected. 
Now go to a small town, and it's like, hey, how's your mama and them? You know, you want some sweet tea? You know, come on in kind of thing. I go to a big city, and people don't want to talk to you. They don't look at you. They don't know you. There's like this, dis- for me, this disconnection that I feel in a big city. But not in this city. This is going to be the biggest city ever. There is no city that is going to be bigger. There is no city currently, nor will there ever be a city as big as this one. But it will be defined by relationship and closeness and intimacy with God's people and with Jesus. And so in this passage, it's not, it's not, in, it's not in red in your Bibles, but in this passage, God from the throne speaks. And he says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We see this coming together between God and man. He says he will dwell with them. He will be his people and God himself will be with them. And then look what else God says. God says, it is done. What's, what's done? What, 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 what's, well, his, his restoration process is done. His complete and total salvation in every way for his creatures as well as for his creation. It's done. It's completed. This is when we are totally and absolutely and completely saved. You see, saved is something that you that has happened to you in the past when you were justified and called on Jesus. Saved is something that's happening to you now as you're being rescued from the power of sin. This right here is whenever you are 100% completely and totally glorified and saved. And God says, it is done. And then he makes an announcement about himself. I'm the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Then he gives this offer to the thirsty um, and, and he says something in the next verse. I don't have it for the screen, but he tells John, he says, write it down. Write it down. Listen, when God tells you to write something down, I think it's time to pay attention. Hey, make sure you get this part, John. Make sure you write that one down. There's some things that John was told not to write down in the book of Revelation. But this is one thing that coming from the throne, God himself looked at John and said, write it down. He said this saying, I have to find it for you now. Uh, I can't remember what verse it's in. It's in verse 5. He says, write down, for these words are trustworthy and true. When God says write it down and when God says it's trustworthy and true, you can take it to the bank. This is the whole point of heaven. Revelation 22, verse 1 through 5. Man, I wish I had time. I wish I had time. I meditated on these verses again last night. And I just, I could put put some more, I could put some more yellow, yellow words. I mean, just so much in here. The Bible tells us that we're going to be healed. There's a river, there's a tree, and we're going to partake of it. The Bible says we're going to be healed, that we're going to be around the throne. The Bible says that we're going to worship. We're going to worship. If you don't want to worship on the Lord's day on earth, you're going to hate heaven. If there's something about worship that just doesn't captivate your heart, heaven is not really really where you want to be. Not the biblical heaven but just some, some heaven that you fabricated in your mind where God serves your needs night and day and you get all the things that you want. Like a country song, you play it backwards and you get everything back, right? That's how some people think, I'm serious, that's how some people think heaven is. 
then I'm just going to get everything back that I loved in this life and wanted in this life, and I'm going to get my health back, I'm going to get my kids back, I'm going to get all these, I'm going to get my truck back, I'm going to get everything back, and heaven's just going to be all wonderful, and God's just going to sit there and just serve me for all eternity. That's not how it works. You see, we're to serve Him. We're going to worship Him. We're going to praise Him. We're going to give Him glory. We're going to sing songs to Him. We're going to learn more about Him. We're going to enjoy intimate fellowship with Him forever. That is what heaven is all about. The Bible says we're going to see His face right there after uh, where it says worship Him. We're going to see His face. You know, there's times of darkness in, this, in your life right now where, man, God just doesn't seem to be close to you and you want Him to reveal Himself to you and you can't feel answers and your prayers just don't seem to go anywhere. And one day our faith is going to be made sight. We're going to see His faith. And the Bible says that we're going to reign with Him forever. But if you're not born again, you'll never see any of this. That's what Jesus said. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, Nicodemus, the guy, he had questions. What what are you talking about? What does that mean? Jesus just said it again. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know, we, uh, we celebrate these baptisms, and we celebrate people who are baptized. You know, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. It's an important step of obedience, but it doesn't save. Our connection class is going on right now. It's probably a room full of people pursuing church membership right here at Stephen Street, and we're so happy about that because we, we believe in church. We have a high view of church membership. Do you know church membership is not going to save you? We believe the Bible gives us a set of moral standards that we're obligated to follow. But do you know just following those moral standards, that's not going to save you? Even believing the right things. Jesus said even the demons believe, but we read at the end of Revelation chapter 20 what happens to the demons and to Satan. They get thrown into the fiery furnace, and they believed the right things. They know as facts that certain events happen, and as a fact, that God exists and who Jesus is. You can believe the right things, you can go to church, you can get baptized, you can do all those things. But Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. That's the most important thing. If you're not born again, you will never see this real place called heaven. You will never see the renewal of, of, of God's created universe You'll never have the removal of sin. You'll spend eternity trying to, you'll spend eternity being punished for your sin. There's, ne- there's never going to be this restoration between you and God. You must be born again. And you should ask yourself that question Am I really born again? Or is, this just re- is this just a religious exercise for me? Is this just some kind of religious practice, something that I'm doing for uh, some kind of benefit? Or am I really born again? Let's stand together, if you don't mind. And as we do every week, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. All I can do is give you the information that is given to me in Scripture. All I can do is read to you what the Bible says. All I can do is show you the path and show you the way. I can't save you. 
I really can't even convince you with fine-sounding words. That's why the Apostle Paul said that our preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. It's just the simple truth of the gospel. Are you born again? That's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask God right now. Ask him. Say, Jesus, have I really been born again? Show me if I'm born again. Because I want to see that kingdom. I want to be restored to God. I want to be a part of that new heavens and that new earth. I want to be a, I want to, uh, be a citizen of that new Jerusalem. Show me, God, am I born again? And if God speaks to you, or maybe, maybe you've covered this ground before. Maybe God has already shown you before. You know that you're born again. This is what I want you to do. I want you to pray and say thank you. Just thank God. Thank God for what we just read and, and for, for, for what's going to happen for you in the future. How you're going to receive a glorified, resurrected body. You're going to live in the new Jerusalem, the holy city. You're going to worship. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to be reunited with other Christians from this earth, including your loved ones. Just say thank you to God for that. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the cross that, made, that has made it possible for me. If you don't know if you're born again, I want, I want you to just in your heart, just look to the cross and just call on Jesus. If you need to come to this altar right now and kneel down and pray, please do that. We're also going to sing a song that's just going to celebrate the beauty of heaven. If you want to come and kneel down at the altar and pray for any reason, you can feel free to do that at this time. But if you're not born again, just call upon him. Jesus said, for all who received him, for those who called upon his name, he gave them the right to become children, born not of natural descent or of a husband's will, but born 